Let's go, let's go. Stop having so much fun. It's the church. What? <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to your first Sunday in Lent in Volkavit. So the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. O God, by whose spirit we are led into the wilderness of trial, grant that standing in the strength, in your strength against the powers of darkness, we may so win the victory over all evil suggestions that with singleness of heart we may always serve you and you alone. Through him who was in all points tempted as we are, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, good to see you. How's your Lent going so far? Have you broke your fast yet? Anybody want to admit their failure? We're three days in. Could be a disaster. Right? Any, any extra heavy guilt lying just on top of you, just below the surface? What? I think just buying Girl Scout cookies on the way to church counts. Yeah. Who, if you bought Girl Scout cookies on the way to church, that is a sin. Yes. It's hard. There's nobody outside on Sunday morning. How you found Girl Scout cookies is the little... When I drive to church on Sunday morning, I have the streets all to myself, and then, I don't know, there's, but there's so many things I don't understand, so, yeah, okay, anything else? So you remember how this works now, um, no, I mean, you're t- too old and smart for fake stuff, no sin, no guilt, right? So um, do your best, if you failed, pick it up, give the discipline a chance, it takes some time, you're not going to get it right on the first try. But in response to the sacred time of Lent, go ahead and try to um, fast in some way. Now, you noticed in the bulletin this morning there were things about a real fast is giving up something horrible. So it's one thing to give up meat on Fridays, but it's another thing to um, give up belittling your kids or um, being angry with the people you work with. So, you know, think about that. That was in there a couple of times. And then also remember the protection you have. Of course, as you try to do a bit better, um, you'll put the devil on notice. I was reading a thing last night about how you try to, there's this fine course between you need to resist the devil but try not to disturb him unnecessarily. That kind of brings it on top of you. So it's it's kind of an interesting. you know, how do you tell them to drop dead without offending him? How do you poke him in the eye without stirring him up? These things are difficult. So uh, it's, probably, it's probably not going to work out that well for you. But nevertheless, we'll be here next Sunday and also on Wednesday. Dinner's here on Wednesday, right? Six o'clock, there's dinner. If you want to come and confess your Girl Scout escapades or anything else, <laughs> there'll be a pastor at the back altar at 530. Uh, probably be me, I don't know. So Maybe you should come next week. And then, um, uh, (laughs) hey, we already got enough going on, okay? We don't need to add that to the mix. Come on. Uh, So 5.30 if you want to come to confession, 6 o'clock for dinner, 7 o'clock for the annual exercise and trying not to light your neighbor on fire at 7 to Zay, all right? If you put money in the basket, that's going to go to folks who need to eat. That'll go to St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen. I mean, that's like, this is like a no-brainer. I was thinking about my, among my failures, is how I've talked to you about money in some ways. It's interesting, I, don't, I have to think about this all the way through, but um, it's so interesting, you know, the church is always so bent on survival. It's, I, I'm welcoming the troubles that are, are coming to the church. I probably would be silly for saying this, but I think there's going to be a clarification in some sense. 
But, you know, churches, you know, there's always this, especially if you're a pastor, you're always hearing from God, they can't pay this bill and that bill, and they're going to get paid, and they're moving around, and blah, blah, blah. And you, you sort of, it, it realizes how our um, associated with money is so strange, you know. We just, almost always the conversation in church is about we're not going to make it, you know. So listen to the seminaries, listen to the senate, listen to the letters you get, the district, everybody, pastors. It's so interesting because... Um, Part of the thing, I mean, that's not the, that's the rare exception in Scripture. To, to talk about, for example, tithing and money and alms, giving money to the poor people who don't have anything to eat, is regularly a, a reflection not of the utility bill you got in the mail. It's a reflection of how do we love God and serve our neighbor? So at some point, the church's conversation has to shift from mere survival and then, you know, having black ink to, and this is perhaps where I failed you, is the conversation should be a big conversation about what we can do beyond our own walls in the way of Acts chapter 2. And they were merciful to people who weren't Christians, and people who weren't Christians were amazed by that. You know, that's the apologetic the church needs. Even if the church goes up in smoke because of persecution, you know, it's a savory smoke when, you, when, you're, when you're lost because of that. So um, and somehow, we, I got I to gotta think this all the way through, but in your own life, um, you should be thinking about all these things, the disciplines of Lent. You should be thinking about this as, how is this loving God and serving my neighbor? And we're so misshapen by our bad practices that we hardly can can get there. So just kind of, there's just a lot to think about in Lent. All right, here's the thing. I'm going to just read you this text because I'm frightened of you now. So we tried this once before, and you know how well that went, right? So uh, let, me just, let me just give this a go. We're, we're, uh, this is Matthew 13. This is a, this is a do-over, right? So, um, but I'm going to tell you I love you for all the questions, and then I want to tell you, when I get done, I'm going to tell you that I love you again. Because, But first, I just want you to hear it as if um, you heard it for the first time. So this is in all three of the synoptic Gospels. I think it comes first in all three Gospels. And that tells you a lot, then, that all three evangelists recorded it, and that it, it's a lead. This tells you this is a great big deal. But try for a moment. I'll say this, and this is impossible for you, but I'll try to the moment. Try to listen to this with pure ears. Right? Now, this is impossible because we all have a context and assumptions that we have, but you know, just listen to it, maybe without reaction. Maybe just let the words kind of, just let the, story, just let the story kind of happen in your head and see what happens. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the thing is, is, you know, Jesus is clearly aware of our own presuppositions because when he says, you know, if you've got ears to hear, 
You know, you've all got ears, but you don't all have ears to hear. And this has a long history in Scripture. You, way, you remember way back when Solomon became king, you know, what do you pray for? And it said, you know, the, the classic translation is he prayed for wisdom, a wise heart. But if you read the Hebrew text, it actually says he prayed for a heart with ears. He prayed for ears on his heart. He prayed for a pure heart. He prayed for listening ears, ears that could hear. And so Jesus, you know, knows that as well. He, he prays that we would have some pure-heartedness or pure-earedness, I guess. And it was interesting. What was so good about the previous conversation two weeks ago was that, you know, in our reactions to the text was the admission of what we presume. And we can't escape it. You know, if anything has happened, I said this to you before, if anything has happened in the last hundred years in philosophy or in academics, it's the notion that we all have our own biases and we all hear based on our own context. You know, that we're kind of stuck in the world in which we live and so we see things differently. And this is everything from having, you know, uh, women or people of color on port on, on corporate boards. So Solomon Brothers said they won't bring any IPO now unless they, unless there's um, uh, some diverse membership on the corporate board. Very interesting. This is the, the extent of what started in academics, you know, 100 or 150 years ago. Or that, you know, black folks see things different than white folks. You know, or women see things different than men. In most of these things, like, you know, without all the extra baggage that might believe, you might just admit that people have different experiences and different assumptions. And if you don't think that, you should get to know somebody whose skin color is different than yours or somebody whose gender is different. And um, believe me, there are people who would be very willing to kind of let you in on that secret. Now, that being said, you're not stuck by that, right? So we all have presuppositions about things and about other people and about Jesus, too, and about how stories are heard and what Jesus might mean. So it's almost impossible for us to hear this story for the first time because we are not hearing it for the first time. And we have all this stuff built up and... Um, it just makes us difficult to understand what Jesus is up to. By the end of the hour, what I'm going to say to you, I mean, I'll just say it to you now, which is uh, whatever your presuppositions are, that's how you're going to interpret the story. So that makes hermeneutics and presuppositions very important. To be a rational person is to conclude your presuppositions. That's what it means to be rational. You have these assumptions, and the world works out that way. It doesn't mean you're right. It just means you've concluded your presuppositions. It means that your thinking works in a linear way. Now even linear thinking is under scrutiny, so you know you can choose what you want, but the opposite side is tribal warfare, and that hasn't worked very well anywhere in the history of the world. So, you know, one of my favorite statistics is history's been kept for 4,000 years, and for 3,811 of those years, it's been the history of warfare. If you're optimistic about people, don't be. Original sin. So, and you know, we're going to get a chance to. Um, yeah, I should. I'll just stop right there. So, uh, yeah, that's probably far enough. Now, what's interesting is, is that occasionally you can get closer to Jesus by tending the presuppositions. The great proof of this is the Kenneth Bailey book. So, Kenneth Bailey was this very bright guy, grew up as a missionary's kid in the Middle East, went to Concordia Seminary, St. Louis to get a PhD, 
at the time when Harvard, Yale, and St. Louis were the three great institutions to do academic work. You know, this is some years ago now. And he gave you these uh, books that we often rely on, Poet and Peasants and Through Peasants' Eyes, Jesus Through Peasants' Eyes. But his, his, what, he, what he did for his doctoral thesis is he went around to Bedouin communities. People are doing the same things the way that they did it in Jesus' time. If you've been to the Holy Land, you've seen the Bedouin out, you know, and they're insulated and culture doesn't change and they live the way their um, ancestors lived. And so he went to, and he could do this because he grew up in the Middle East and spoke the languages and was comfortable with the custom. He would sit down with some Bedouin. He would tell them Jesus' story, and then he would say, what does this mean? Right? Such an interesting way to proceed. So that they would, you know, offer their interpretation of, you know, what Jesus really meant. And without a hesitation, they would say, well, this is what that story means. Oftentimes not even knowing it was a Jesus story, a Bible story. This is what that story means, because often they weren't Christian, right? They weren't educated, they weren't Christian, they were people who lived in the land. Think about Jesus as doing the same thing, only think about him as telling this story for the first time, right? Now, I'm clearly going to expose all my biases about this. And, you know, what, um, what um, some people might see and what other people might see I'm going to do two or three things here. I'm going to take what I think to be the biblical line. Um, I'm also going to take that as being the Lutheran line, because if I didn't think the Lutheran line was the biblical line, I'd be something else. And I'm also going to take that as uh, the 100% line of we're saved only by the gifts of God. We're saved only by the gifts of God. So we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and we're resurrected with every... Uh, move and mark of the gospel. So um, I'm going to tell you, you know, how you how I read this and how I think it should be read. And you know, you can, um, you know, you kind of plus or minus it. But when you plus or minus it, and this was the great thing about the conversation two weeks ago, is when you plus or minus it, ask yourself why such a thing happens. So let's just start with, I think the thing, the thing that hung us up and we didn't get any farther, which is completely good but how you understand the casting of the seed, right? So there's different ways you can understand this. You can understand it as, um, or maybe you can ask yourself a, a different, why does, the, why does the, the sower, and now already you know we're going to the end of the story because you've heard the story, why does Jesus cast himself? Or if you want to think about the Heavenly Father as sowing Jesus, but you can think about him the same way because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all agree on what's happening. You know, again, I had, sidebar, I had a conversation with somebody this week who considers the crucifixion divine child abuse. So the father forces the son to the cross and kills him for your sake. What sort of a father would do that? Of course, it misses the basic Christological thing that was worked out, you know, 2,000 years ago, which is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are different persons, but they always agree on how to proceed. So the conversation went something like this between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You hear the, you hear the story that was read in Genesis today. And um, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit huddle up and say, sort of, what are we going to do now? What a mess Adam and Eve have made of this thing. They're dead. What are we going to do? And the conversation goes something like this. Jesus said to the Father and the Spirit, Okay, I'll go. Freely and from love. 
So all this nonsense about, you know, Jesus being forced into something or the brutality of the Father, and this can't possibly be a paradigm and violation and victimhood, you're kind of like... When people do things voluntarily, um, freely, from love, the world can't even process that. So I read this in the same way, that Jesus comes and freely... Now you have to, here's what you have to cast seed. I shouldn't clip my sentences. Jesus comes freely and casts seed. What's happening? This person is a peasant. He lives from harvest to harvest. Seed is extraordinarily valuable because it's extraordinarily expensive. So when he casts the seed everywhere, what does that mean? Right? Here's what I think it means. It reflects the character of the sower, the love, the optimism, the hopefulness that just somehow um, the gospel might work, just somehow the seed might catch. Now, I know how this story is, uh, you know, and Jesus tells them, they're like, we can't even figure this out, and then Jesus tells them the answers, right? But in, you know, kind of kind of bolster this a little bit. And I can't remember even who said it to me, but somebody said to me, have you ever seen aerial pictures of Detroit? And I'm like, yeah, no. So, um, and sort of, now you have to be my age to remember this, but there was a time when Detroit was leveled, right, in the late 60s. I mean, the, the city was burned down, basically. And only now is it beginning to recover, right, the last 10 years. It's kind of the cool kid's place in the last 10 years in the Midwest. But the observation was, if you look at Detroit from above, all those places where there was concrete is all overgrown with green. If you look at the same picture 50 years ago and you look at it now, 50 or 60 years ago it was black and gray, now it's green. Right? The seed finds a way that has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of the soil at least not in the first analysis. So what I want to suggest to you is this great mercy of God towards everyone. You can, you can read this, of course, as some people are already judged and it's sort of a, here's seed, screw you, you don't know what to do with this. If you want to think about it that way, okay, i got to move on. But the Jesus I know is the Jesus who loves everybody, who actually did love the world so much that he died for everybody, John 3.16, Right? that wants all his children home again. If you start with the notion that he doesn't want all his children home again, you're going to get one reading of the thing, and it's completely logical. That's fine. You conclude your presuppositions. But if you start with the presupposition that we're dead, everybody's dead, we're all in the same boat, right, necros, we live only by the gift of God, and now read the story as, and God scatters his seed, the valuable seed, the thing that will kill him if this doesn't work out, Friday. He scatters it to every type and kind of person. He scatters it to every circumstance. He even scatters seed in Detroit. What? With the possibility that if, if things work out, everything will go green, right? You may not agree with this, but at least it's a legitimate reading of the text. But I've been upfront about my presuppositions, what they are. 
My presupposition is that Jesus loves everybody and Jesus wants all his children home again, and that's the point of the incarnation, the single point of the incarnation from which every other point can be derived. God loves you. He doesn't hate you. And just by the by, wrath is not one of the virtues of God. So I often hear this, you know, in God's heart is wrath. Hmm. God may at times be wrathful, but it is not one of his divine attributes. So, God is love, says the text. That's what the scripture says. First John, you know, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he who knows God is born of love. He who does not know love does not know God, because God is love. Just take the text seriously, right? Just take the text seriously. And I realize, you know, it can be pushed and pulled all different ways. I get it. I realize that's why there's denominations. I get it. I get that denominations go all the way back to 1 Corinthians. I get it. I get it that Paul says sometimes you need these kind of splits so you can see who's false and who's true. Yeah, I get it. But I also get the high priestly prayer in John where he says, and my wish is that the church is one, right? And so our whole thing is balancing those two things. It'll never be balanced if you begin with wrath and some people being left out. You begin with Jesus wants all his children home again. The Heavenly Father wants all his children home again. And Jesus says, I'll go. That's the story of Lent. And so I read the text against that. So for me, this text is about the Catholicity of the gospel, small c, that it is universal, that it goes everywhere, that God has done his bit, that he has delivered Right? His most valuable thing, the son sows himself. He delivers it everywhere to everybody in every circumstance with every hope that things would actually sprout and grow. Another assumption. God gets the credit for everything good that happens in my life. I get the credit for everything bad. I just read a long article by a former Christian who identified that exact sentiment for turning Buddhist. Because my church and my pastor never affirmed me, uh, it came through yoga, which I'm not necessarily against. In fact, I could use a little stretch of my hamstring right now. But, um, you know, at the end, uh, you know, uh, I've been in classes where this has happened. Compliment yourself on a job well done or congratulate yourself on, right? And that was the click for this person who said, my pastor never told me that. Yeah, because you know why? Because you got a dark heart, especially you. So, um, <laughs> no, just kidding. I just, you were just, it was just so easy, right? I was, uh, see, that shows that I have a dark heart, really. About you, it doesn't say anything, but about me, I'm horrible, right? So, yes, uh, it's Lent. I can say it, and it's all going to be forgiven. So, I guess I'll sin so the grace abounds. All right, so anyway... Um, Right, but just to understand this, that Jesus gets the credit for all the good that happens. So if I grow, you know, if we grow, we grow to the Lord, you know, and if we don't, then it's on, it's on me. But anyway, just to, just to kind of get it, and, you know, I think this is consistent with Jesus who is um, merciful, who goes to the cross. And always, you know, for Lutherans, the place to start is the cross of Christ. We all can absorb the story of an innocent man who dies for us? If you've had a heart transplant from a young automobile accident victim, you can also absorb that somebody else died for me, an innocent person. 
and I'm the pure beneficiary of that, for example, right? You can press these things out in normal life, we see it. But I just, this is just cards on the table. Our Heavenly Father wants all his children home again. Jesus says, I'll go. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll shape the church in your image, singular and plural, plural, which then means that the church's primary task, and never forget this, if I get hit by a Budweiser beer truck on the way home, as Eifert used to say, this is the one thing to remember, that um, the church is about mercy. And that is the thing, especially we Lutherans often forget. We talk at a big ball game. But when it comes to actually being merciful to people who don't meet our standards, it can feel a lot more like being Pharisees than being publicans. The church is about mercy. Mercy is grace applied to misery. Grace is God's disposition toward us of an open, agopic heart, a loving heart, without preconditions. Grace is God's predisposition toward us. Mercy is when that grace is artfully applied to whatever it is that ails us, from your bad knee to your dark heart. That's the church. And when we lose sight of mercy, we've accepted another God, whether we know it or not. God is love. The heart of God is love. God's love is for everyone. God's love is meant to express itself as mercy. A sower went out to sow. He cast the seed everywhere, liberally, in all directions, to all circumstances, to the pavement, to the thin soil, to the rocky ground, and to good soil that grew up 160 and 30. That's the gospel. Just kind of... The gospel always talks about Jesus and what Jesus is doing. Just let Jesus have, have sway with the story. Let the story be about the sower and not about you, at least to start. What Jesus loves is giving his gifts to you. Now, if you get so busy that your life um, chokes off what the Lord has given, resisting his gifts and telling him no... Read, read the Romans text today. The texts are brilliant for today, right? Free gift. It's interesting that Paul has to say again and again, free gift, free gift, as if there was any other kind of gift, but just to make the point, right? You kind of go, you know, Paul's not gathering my data. This really is for all free. He's not selling this to a third party, you know? So this is what the Lord does for us. And if you're too busy to come to church or if you're too proud to love, or if you think you've got a better deal somewhere else, you know, somebody who tells you you're fabulous and don't change, hey, that's on you. And hell is when you get your way forever. Right? Hell is when the Lord lets you have your way forever. But, you know, in advance of that, it would be a lot more fun if you could go 160 and 30. I don't think you realize the kind of firepower that's in this room right now. But it's kind of up to you. Like, I'm toward the end of this gig, and, you know, Marcus is getting older, and Kendall, I mean, think about him. 
he's broken down. You better be nice to him when he comes. So, uh, no, he's fine. You listening there, bud? I love you. Forget it. Uh, I mean, who knows? Who knows what could be? I should, I should wear a tinfoil hat. So here's the thing. You know, I mean, this is that if you're under 40, I mean, you've got to get, you got to get, you know, you're not going to have buy-ins around with you forever. The old man can't come in and, like, preach the way he preached to you last time and, you know, have you all asking for copies because you've never heard the gospel like that before. It's not going to happen. He's going to move to Florida. His wife has common sense, right? No taxes and a lot of sunshine, plus good doctors. So there you go. I mean, you're not, you should say something nice to him and maybe slip him a thousand bucks for his department. Don't worry, he'll know what to do with it, okay? The sower went out to sow. He sowed his free gift everywhere, if you don't mind a mashup with the epistle for today. He sowed it liberally, without asking questions first, without preconditions, without a means test, without anything. All right? How are you doing so far? I know that's the thing. Like, I, if I talk like 20 minutes, none of you will disagree with me, right, or ask a question. I get it, right? I just pummel you with volume. You know, just because you moved from there over there doesn't mean that I don't know you're not coming right at me. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm not coming at you. And coming at Betsy. You didn't, you didn't need to convince me because I think it's abundantly clear what you said is true. When you look at that, you're coming from a farm, I can tell you, no farmer in his right mind would do what the sower does. Yeah. You are not going to run your planter on the road. You are not going to plant through, you know, the boundary of the field where you've got a bunch of weeds and trees, and yet here the sower does that. And if you look at each situation other than the good soil, there is the rare chance that the seed germinates and grows. You plant in weeds, yeah, most of the seeds will be choked out, but there will be occasionally a couple of seeds that sprout. You plant on rocky ground, Occasionally, you will find a seed that finds a crack, and it will be able to sink roots down. So it's 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 what you said. God, Jesus, you know, sends the gospel out everywhere, everywhere, and you know, it's with the hope that it will take. But He's not making judgment. It's not a predestination story. It's a with God's lavish love. He is making it available to everyone. It, the, 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 the four types of places where the seed drops is a sinful world. You know, God's not responsible for the sinful world. Man's responsible for the sinful world. And yet God has the, the hope, the love to still put the gospel out there. Yeah, thanks. Um, as you said that, I'm, th- I'm reminded, you know, the Great Commission, where, which basically boils down where Jesus says to the apostles, Give everything to everybody, right? Go to all nations, teaching them everything. Give everything to everybody without distinction. Um, I think we just struggle with this. You know, the real... It's funny how we read the scriptures and we always think about somebody else. I read the scripture and I want to reflect on Betsy's dark heart when I wouldn't have to go four feet to find a dark heart, right? I should just stay home, tend my knitting, right? But, of course, we always want to think about somebody else, Uh, Maybe we could start by not thinking about somebody else. You know, maybe it would Lent is the time to pull some weeds. You know, maybe Lent is the time to reflect on um, our own hard-heartedness and places where things don't sprout when they should. 
as I, as I, you know, after I, as I'm on this for a while, it's hard for me. As I get older, it's hard for me to kind of think about. So I'm, uh, for me, self-inflicted wounds are the worst kind. I don't, you know, there's a lot of things I don't mind. Mistakes, like everybody makes mistakes. But self-inflicted wounds, you know, a, a missed opportunity. You can ask the elders. This is the kind of stuff that makes me out of my mind, right? And you should, you know, if you could somehow, if you could somehow step back from yourselves and look at the possibility, you know, if things like coming to church every week wasn't um, even a discussion among all the people who go to church here, or if tithing wasn't even a discussion, or giving alms wasn't even a discussion, or the presupposition of a merciful heart wasn't even a discussion, or the refusal to judge other people, those, you can't quite imagine what this place would be, and frankly, the church wouldn't be struggling the way it's struggling. The church is struggling whether it knows it or not is because it's absorbed the world in all the wrong ways. And uh, the only card we've got to play is mercy. And what we forget is that you play mercy even if it kills you. That's Good Friday. The card that the church is meant to play is mercy. You play it right to the end, even if it kills you. I was reflecting with somebody else this week about it. We talked about this and preached about it. You remember the martyrs a couple of years ago that were beheaded on the beach in Libya? 20 Coptic and then one African who was their friend, he was the last one to go, and they said to him, um, you know, what about you? Because, you know, basically the thing was deny Christ and live, and each one of them, Christ is the Lord, Christ is Lord, right? He's the last, and they say, what about you? And he says, I'm with them, Christ is Lord. You're like, well played, right to the end, boom. And, of course, they killed him. But he also already appears on the icon of the martyrs. So, mercy, mercy, I can't tell you often enough mercy, and think about yourself, yourself, you don't be worrying about somebody else's heart. Now, how this, Karen, I love you so much. What's up? Um, just a comment. I find it amazing and incomprehensible that when the Lord created the earth, and Adam and Eve, he had to have known that they were all true. Um, he overcome by sin and that they were going to break it apart. And yet he did it anyway. Much like you having children, Karen. <laughs> Only one. <laughs> <laughs> I was hopeful. I was hopeful of just a little pause there, reflection, and not to not to parse this any farther. But the thing is, if you've had children, call your parents and tell them you love them today. No, say, say, I just let me help you. Like this will be an extra bump when you go home for spring break. Say, I was in church today, thinking about how much I love you. Just try that, okay? Can report back. And remember to tithe on the proceeds. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, you know, th- some of these things are mysterious, Karen. Um, you know, why anybody would ever have a child when they know exactly the same thing that you just said about Adam and Eve. But the thing is, the heart of God is love, and love is always more. Gifts are always more. Love is always more. The gospel is always more. 
And so, um, you know, if you have a choice between sort of have an unlimited love all by yourself or just amongst us or just the people in this room and living your life in such a way that that love could be extended to others, even those yet to be born, you should play hard and go for others. That's the way of the Lord. It's the reason you have children. You have children or a child because God has children or a child. Right? Now, I will admit to you in the middle of this story, and I don't want to come back to it again, even though I've kind of, you know, blown it up twice now. Um, Beyond the great generous distribution of this is also the mystery of how it works. Why do some seeds among the weeds grow up? You know, why does some concrete in Detroit get covered with green? You know, why this, why that? Yeah, the, the, the story doesn't bother to explain that to you. It explains to you why some things go bad. You know, people are choked by the cares of the world. People go to the catechumenate and they go to church for six months and then they don't come to church anymore and then their faith dies and they can't even remember why they thought that was important in the first place. Thin soil, right? It explains a lot, kind of on the surface. You know, and if you go deeper, you can figure it out. It just wasn't tended. But um, the great mystery of how this works, the seed is buried. It grows only after it disappears. It is, offers yields far beyond its own size. And you never quite know what might come next. You know, all of that is sort of wrapped up in this story. There is a day when things go 160 and 30. There is a day like that, and you can look forward to it, but you can't control it, and um, all you can do is rejoice in it. And yes, of course, things do go badly, and Jesus himself says, you know, Satan gets his oar in the water here, and um, the world, and your own flesh. I mean, it's so interesting how, you know, Jesus says... You know, Satan snatches away some of for whom this is intended, and then some people have no interest, but then, or they lose interest, but then still Jesus sprouts and grows. So I guess um, when the stories are always about Jesus, the stories aren't ultimately about you, they're always about Jesus. And Jesus knows that your life is challenging and he knows what you face. But he's given you everything that you need to flourish and sprout and grow. And, you know, if we don't flourish and sprout and grow, in fact, if the Christian church turns into something, and I don't mean now, I mean beyond my two square blocks. I am concerned sometimes about our own denomination with the mercilessness we show. Um, I'm happy to specify for anybody who's listening. And... um, You know, I'm concerned about us sometimes because we have it too good. You know, we have suffering that normal people have, but we don't have a lot. I mean, imagine you're on the Turkish border. You're a refugee Christian from Syria, and coronavirus is on the way. By the way, it's snowing, and there's no um, fuel for heat. So if you've seen the pictures of these children who are freezing to death, you know, in a a cold um, Syrian winter right now, you kind of go, yeah, that's not the problems that we have. How could we be more merciful? So I, we got to go, because I don't know. We got to go. But here's the thing. 
This is about the prodigality again of Jesus. He sows himself everywhere without distinction, and he hopes for the best. Resist him if you like, but the consequences are then yours. What he'd prefer is that you sprout. You know, if you're in this room right now, um, you're on the way to sprouting. Um, but if you're 30, let's go 60. If you're 60, 100 is a nice number for you. And Lent is all about trying to figure out how that do. Lent is about pulling weeds. Lent is about, you know, that kind of grass you can grow at Home Depot that grows even on cement. Have you seen it? Where they grow the grass on a... Have you seen this? They'll sell you the grass that grows on a cement block. I'm like, cool. I'm thinking about a Christmas present next year. In the, Why get a stocking when you could have a cement block that has grass growing out of it? That's the kind of thing people would appreciate just for the wonder of it. R- really? I was thinking for you. No. <laughs> Or, you know, <laughs> mercy, 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 we got to go. Uh, but, uh, you know, what I hope is that you'll, you know, 30 can go to 60 next year and 100, you know, just, um, you know, see Nyquist and Wente about um, contracts with um, those fertilizer companies. Okay, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you Wednesday. Thank you.